Welcome to the Leadership Trap Podcast, recorded live here in Austin, Texas. In this podcast, we explore the conditions that lead to surviving and thriving in a successful leadership role. We examine the traps that can cause leaders to stumble, bumble, or get ambushed in ways that may or may not be of their own making. I'm Dr. Chris Petrovka, and with David Hewen of Austin WorkNet, we have a conversation with each leader that explores the traps that they have encountered through their leadership journey. Hopefully it brings a new perspective to your role as a leader and helps you navigate your own way through the traps. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump into the trap. Hey, Chris, I don't think I've mentioned to you that my first startup experience was actually over 20 years ago, a company called ExtraPrize. And one of the board members, uh, I came to realize over a course of uh, coming to know her in the Austin scene was that she's a mover and shaker in the um, startup community and helping entrepreneurial companies uh, get established, uh, help them understand what it takes to secure funding and so forth. And that was a tremendous legacy legacy that Laura Kilcrease uh, left on the Austin scene. And then she got stolen from us about five years ago, um, an organization called Alberta Innovates in Canada uh, funded uh, publicly, uh, this is an organization that helps emerging entrepreneurs, researchers, early stage companies have the advantage of having this um, uh, connected network of other organizations that are just getting started as well. And they're being supported and invested in by the government. The government wants to build out their next generation of uh, economy uh, leaders. So really smart thinking. She's been leading the way in this regard. So she's the CEO of Alberta Innovates uh, at this moment. Uh, super sharp lady. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking with Laura. And I think what really struck me was how approachable she was, which is really refreshing in these times to speak to someone who's in this uh, very high level position of power. Or she runs a very large organization. And you really wouldn't know that when you talk to her. Just yeah. very, very approachable. Yeah, very and, personal. Right. A couple of things that I would highlight for our listeners uh, as they tune in here is uh, the section in here where Laura talks about leading in a hybrid work environment and how she's gone about breaking down these traditional ways of working and challenging these these sort of codes of behavior, like sticking around in a meeting that lasts an hour um, and just filling the time until you're released. (laughs) I thought that was that was very thoughtful. Yeah, I think. Everyone will like listening to Laura Kilcrease, in part because she's a Brit. She just sounds impressive just hearing her out. So this is Laura Kilcrease. All right. We're excited to be here for another edition of The Leadership Trap. Welcome to the show, Laura Kilcrease. Hey, great to be here with you both. Laura, I have to know, what attracted you to your current role as CEO at Alberta Innovates, and maybe you can expand a bit on the Alberta Innovates uh, mission as well. But what, what got you to move from Austin to Alberta, Canada, of all places? Well, first, I should say they're both very similar, David. As I tell people here who ask me the exact same question is, they're very similar environments. Both are about 40 degrees C in temperature. The trust, the difference is one is plus and the other one's minus, depending ah, okay. on the time good. of year. Yeah, good distinction. Um, and so, <laughs> so I joke with them, but really the, the cultures and the environments have some similarities. Texas and Alberta are both originally oil and gas 
mm. producers, uh, big agricultural, big emerging tech, m- much more emerging tech here than, than in Austin. But fundamentally, um, it gave me an opportunity to expand what I did in Austin in terms of a contributor to building the ecosystem and the town and the culture and all the vibrancy that Austin has today that's very widely recognized to do it not just at a city level, but to just do it over a whole state or province. And uh, that was, uh, I'm a challenge-oriented person, and that was a challenge that couldn't be missed. And so I just do it now as uh, as a CEO running Alberta Innovates, which is a corporation where we uh, invest about $250 million a year in, in innovation, but then manage about another half a billion dollars a year in, in other projects uh, with other folks. And so we look very long-term from basic research at universities, you know, one to 30-year horizon. We build ecosystems for entrepreneurs um, and investment vehicles and scaling up companies, which, you know, reflects back on my venture capital days where I actively did that you know, as a, as a VC and an investor and both angel and VC, and I still do that today. And then I have my own applied labs, a million, uh, 200,000 square feet of, of, a, of heavy uh, labs where we invent, do our own inventions and work with major, big, big, big corporations on solving their innovation problems for today and not just for tomorrow. So it's... Um, it's it's a challenge to bring my two worlds together, my world that has done so well in Austin um, and my home that still resides there with my home where I reside in Canada and help make those linkages happen better for both both parties, both territories, both countries. And I remember or just was reading, I recall, when you left Austin around 2017, right? Uh, You made the move. And I think one of the articles I was reading talked about Part of that that was really important to you because of your love for Austin and then your new opportunity was creating that bridge between the two. How have you seen that um, evolve now that now that you're there? Well, you know, the bridges here, it's not as strong and big as I would like it. And, and, and frankly, the first 18 months I was here, I merged four corporations into the one corporation called Alberta Innovates Today. Once I'd got the Rudiments. I mean, when you merge four corporations together at one fell swoop, you know, two two mergers of two corporations is a challenge. You can imagine four, but and four cultures and five IT systems and all the other things that go with that. Um, so once I got that done, I, I started to do more of that bridging work. And then, unfortunately, six months later, COVID hit. So in the last almost two years, we've been under COVID, where it's been bridging through my networks but not the ability to cross border bridge. And I think there's no substitute for eyeball to eyeball meeting. There's no substitute for the immediate trust you can build when you meet someone for the first time or you introduce people together. But what I have done is I created a a conference before um, COVID hit that we'd run just twice called Inventures, Innovation, Ventures and Capital. And through that, uh, we've brought people up um, not just from the states and Austin in, into Canada, but we've also brought other people from from my network um, around the world because I think, you know, we live in a much more I don't want to say network society, but 
leadership is a very different form in a networked environment than a sole single location. And, and so, uh, Chris, I want to build the networks between Austin and Alberta more. And I'm just waiting for this darn little thing called a pandemic to calm down for us to kind of ramp up even further on that. Uh, that fussy little thing. Yeah. Hey, well, speaking of that theme, Laura, maybe you can wear your CEO hat. I think we're going to ask you to wear a couple of different hats along the way. And you can choose them as we go, either the CEO hat or the venture capitalist hat. But just quickly, since you mentioned this little thing called a pandemic, how are you approaching that? Because in our pre-show discussion, you are CEO of, did you say roughly 600 employees? And yes. uh, we noted, you noted that some of them have to come into work because that's where the work is. They have to come to the lab, touch the work, do the work. And I assume you've got um, a hybrid workforce capability with your knowledge workers who uh, don't necessarily have to come work. And and you just mentioned that it sounds like you like the notion of community at work so that people can have immediate access to each other. There is that warm human connection that comes with that. So how are you managing that as a CEO in the current state of the uh, pandemic, uh, striking the balance with those different cultures? Some have to come to work, some don't. Some may like the luxury of a choice of, you know, I don't have to deal with a commute today and I don't have to dress up and so forth. How are you dealing with all those dynamics? Well, we've done many different things over the last 20 months of, of COVID. Um, fortunately for me, I took my senior management team uh, three months before COVID and put them through resilience training. Ah. Um, and not knowing the pandemic was coming, I had no vision on that. But Nicely saying, no matter what happens, as a senior group, we're going to have to have the resilience to deal with whatever comes at us, right? Mm. Um, so one, that was good. When we saw what the capability was in resilience training, as soon as the pandemic hit within 30 days, we actually, uh, the, the provider, which was an early stage company, we actually subscribed to every employee had a subscription of the app on their phone and every single day or as often as they want or not, they can actually go into a gamified testing on resilience and how they're feeling. And it get, it comes up with some suggestions of what they might want to do. So if they're, if they're remote and feeling uh, isolated after a month or two, because they haven't seen anyone or they're in the labs and they're going, why do I have to come into the labs? You know, answer a few questions on this app. Um, and we found about 50% of the staff on any given day spent about five minutes on this. And we compare the results. We don't see their individual answers, but we, we compare results to other similar size companies. That has actually been very useful because it lightens the load of the individual without having to share or feel like by sharing, they're not having an up day that you know, it, it, it is a problem. Um, second, we actually increased healthcare benefits for mental health. We thought if this went on more than six or nine months, so within three months, we upped our mental health benefits with, you know, no judgment, just like you need a referral, you need to do something virtually, you need to talk to someone. Yeah. Um, you know, some people are on their own at home. There is no family for them to go into. Yeah. Um, and then I think at the end of the day, the collaboration that comes through the work that we do showing benefit to the client 
is a really powerful tool and reminding everyone of that benefit. So other things to remind them of that benefit I, I've taken on. I've taken on, uh, you know, uh, quarterly uh, company-wide, uh, you know, kind of town halls, for want of a better word, uh, virtually. I do a monthly uh, coffee with Kilcrease where I have no speeches, no talks, no information. Just ask me any question you want. And I get, you can arrange, imagine the range of questions with several hundred folks on the line. Yeah, especially um, if you've established a bit of trust um, within your culture. And I think that's one of the things on the culture. It's about, for me, it's about trust, it's about collaboration, it's about creativity, it's about cooperation, uh, it's about the client. We call it the five C's. And, uh, you know, other things we've done amongst the, the, the staff and the culture um, is uh, we have something called Spotlight You that we implemented during this time. And Spotlight You is very simply uh, an app on our internal network. And you can send someone who you think has done a great job virtually, physically, however it happened, and you're aware of it, an attaboy, a cup of coffee, or something more than a cup of coffee, by filling in, uh, takes all of less than two minutes. Hey, thanks for doing what you just did. It really made my job easier. Here's a cup of coffee on me. And anything up to 20 bucks, any employee can send to anyone else. It de facto goes into one of four pools of money that they can get. They can draw down anytime they want. Um, it's literally a cup of coffee. It's five bucks for a cup of coffee. And then I have some special CEO awards for major. But it's a way we found the staff can say what they would have said at the coffee machine or the water cooler or at a meeting that they probably won't say virtually in front of their colleagues. I don't want to pick you, David, out and not pick the others out. So this is a way they can send it. It's anonymous. And it the boost of the recipient gets from going, hey, you exhibited one of our values, collaboration, cooperation, uh, helping the client. God, that really helped me get my job done has been amazing. So we've used tools like that in the digital world. Great work. Great work. And what obligation do you place on your leadership team to ensure that your employees are well served? Um, and, and maybe you, since we are the leadership trap, what traps have you seen that leaders have fallen into in managing their remote workforce, maybe not being tuned into that sort of fragility of uh, the, the mental condition of uh, working in that setting? So how are you helping leaders perform at a higher level in this condition? Well, first of all, I'm telling them to stop being digital 24 hours a day. Mm. Um, you know, the tendency is because we're remote, there's something more to do. I have to call my staff. I have to have one-on-one -on -one meetings instead of group-on-one -on -one meetings. And truthfully, we have to do both. We have more communication uh, that would naturally happen as we bumped into each other in the corridor. We can't bump into each other. So we force an electronic meeting. And I, I'd say to you, you know, every Zoom call you get, isn't it an hour booking? And it's like, you know, no one has, wants to sit there for an hour, but people think they have to extend the conversation for an hour. Mm. Whereas if they bumped into each other, you know, along the corridor, it'd be five or 10 minutes and I'll, I'll catch you later. We got, I got the answer to what I needed. So, so one, I encourage them not to be rigid in the digital world. They're all working 
superbly in longer hours than I frankly would like them to work. But I, I also caution them to unconnect because otherwise work and home life, if you're working remotely, becomes one and the same and they can't differentiate that. And I think over time that adds more self-imposed pressure or stress that's not necessary. Second, I ask the, the, the senior management, make sure they, they continue to have the stuff they would have done physically, like a monthly meeting with their team or however often they do. And wherever possible, randomly check in with their own people. Randomly do it. Yeah. No, no pre-plan, just, hey, if they're available, pick up the Teams, pick up the, uh, the Zoom call, pick up a telephone. By the way, I also encourage them, change the media. Everyone's now doing it by 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 video. Uh, change the media. Just go pick up the old-fashioned phone and call them on your mobile or text them and just say, hey, just checking in. You're doing okay. Anything you need from me? Yeah. And it's amazing when you express empathy and a feeling of caring and it's genuine, how much even in a, in a quick text message, you'll get an indication very much about um what's really going on with that person. So we've got several other things we've encouraged them to do. Um, and then on the physical staff, um, you know, who are physically in the office, we've even had to change their modes because when we're in our labs, we have to social distance and have masks. So we've had to go to shift work, which we don't normally do. And that's an imposition on some people's home lives. But we can't have too many people in the same lab at the same time. And I think here again, we've tried to show caring and understanding, whether it's we put a pallet of, of bottles of water at the front door or sent pizza in or, um, you know, just just every now and again picked up, the, you know, picked up a call and said, hey, I really appreciate what you've done today because I know you've had to spend an extra five hours between, you know, 5, 8, 5 p.m. at night and 8 p.m. because you couldn't be in there when other people were in the labs. It's amazing when people know you notice that it makes a difference. Yeah. I found it interesting as I'm talking to a lot of leaders and managers, the the trying to help them make the mental shift between where there was the physical environment, they could think about management by walking around, right? They visualize, visualize themselves walking through the hallway, saying hello. And I have to have these conversations with them to help them make the shift to this virtual matrix. And I try to tell them like, we have the tools to create this virtual management by walking around. There's ways to do this. And there's a bit of like an aha moment of like, oh, I'm not using Slack or Teams in the way that I should be so that I can walk around as the point, exactly the point you're making, which is sending a simple text, saying yeah. hello, checking on them. How are you doing? Right. A different way of doing that. I've had many aha moments with managers who go, you know, you're right. I'm not using these tools to create this, this matrix environment with them. Exactly. So when we're walking around and bumping into someone, it's very much a re reactive or opportune moment. I actually call that positive collisions. We have positive collisions yeah. that we don't know we're going to have. Yeah. Not every collision bumping into someone might be positive to <laughs> gain something you want, but it's a very opportunistic yeah. uh, um, kind of uh, reactive mode. When we're in a digital mode, we're very, you have to be proactive. Mm -hmm. Being proactive takes a lot more effort than being reactive when you bump into someone. Yep. And so I think the big area that people suffer by missing that, that bumping in, that positive collision, is it doesn't spark the creativity 
that you have in that real life collision, bumping into Mm -hmm. one another, walking down the corridor, you can't create the, you can't force creativity by having a proactive Zoom meeting. Yeah. 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 Right. Yep. Yeah. There's not the spontaneity. If you run into someone in the hallway, say, Oh, Laura, now that I see you, what if we try this? Okay. Yeah. You do this. I'll do that. We'll take it on. And you may have just solved a problem or come up with a new and innovative approach in the passing that happened in that moment. So I'm with you. Well, in the interest of time, let me also ask you to go back in the way back machine with me. You and I uh, do go. Uh, Far back, yes, I just saw Chris. Too bad we don't have a visual on him. He almost fell over in his chair trying to go way back. Um, so um, as a VC, uh, venture capitalist, how has your view of uh, investing into the dot-com era and looking at uh, leadership teams, how did you assess them back then versus assessing leadership teams now, what's changed from the dot-com era to the current startup era? Where do you put more or less focus when you assess value of a potential investment from a leadership perspective? I think from a leadership perspective, um, we put much more um, today, I put much more value into the values of the people they're expressing and their desires of what they want to do going forward. I don't mean do as a job. I mean, values that they apply that are important to them, Mm. as opposed to just skills that they have to do a job, which I would have said would have been the difference. I would also say as a VC, when I actually evaluated management teams, and perhaps sometimes problems, you as a VC, you parachute in to help that leader solve the problem when they don't yet have the experience. But as a CEO, I'm preparing my teams in advance to be able to solve the problem themselves. And for actually, I spend more time giving them tools to prevent problems that might occur and not parachuting in to just solve them for them afterwards. So I think there's a big, uh, there's a different manner in which you're doing manner by the way, whether it's a VC, an external but connected person or a board member yeah. versus whether it's you're building uh, a team. And, and then I think the other thing we've got to really think about here is, you know, what's the future of leadership? You know, leadership as we had it in the 20th century is, is quite different than the 21st. And leadership as we go forward post this pandemic, I think is going to be quite different again. Um, And I think it's going to be, as we look at the generations more about, you know, trust, and that's not a word, that's an action. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It's going to be more about uh, living the values. I think it's more about being, having leadership traits uh, in uncertain futures and changes that can happen very rapidly. I mean, this is not, oh, you know, something new's coming. Uh, it's like, oh, shoot, something just happened. Big change. Uh, we just got went into lockdown. We're coming out of lockdown. Uh, we can fly. We can't fly. Uh, our customers doing well. Oh, my God, they don't have any business. Therefore, we won't have any business. It's almost, it's, it's happening at a velocity leadership hasn't had to deal with. Um, and, and from that, 
where there is resets, or you might call them failures, or changes that are out of your control, how do we learn the lessons and apply them quickly? And you could say there's always been the fail fast, especially in the startup world. But this is not about failing fast. This is about externalities that go beyond what you can influence. Mm -hmm. So how do you act when something doesn't go the way you want? And how in those uncertain times can you uh, turn those things into positive situations? And what does that trust look like uh, in uh, in the face of that condition you just described? How does leadership, starting with a CEO modeling and uh, a broad leadership team, how do they genuinely, authentically create that trust condition uh, to be uh, effective in that setting that, that you just painted? Well, first of all, I think leadership has to have empathy in a manner that you haven't seen it in a long time. Hmm. Second, I think we all know people have individual values and they need to express those values, but they need to live those values. And if staff members don't see those values lived, they're just a word, they no longer believe them. And that will come through very quickly. So that trust, that empathy, those values, I think are probably more important than ever before. And yet we call that perhaps a part of culture. It's got nothing to do with the skill set of the individuals and the job. But if you don't have those those values, uh, the trust, the empathy, the value uh, proposition, I think your likelihood of leading is is, um, slimmer than it used to be. And I think a lot of leaders struggle in this environment. How do they demonstrate that in a virtual environment? Because there are some leaders that probably were wonderful in, in person. That's how they developed that trust, that empathy. But now they're trying to figure out, how do I show empathy in this virtual environment? I'm sitting here in my, my home office. Yeah. So I, I think, um, good point, Chris. I mean, in person, someone can have a charisma and uh uh, and, and then the charisma alone gets you engaged. In a virtual environment, the charisma doesn't come through the same way. So no. you have to really walk the talk. Uh, you have to live. So if you say, um, I have coffee with Kilcrease, um, mm-hmm. uh, anyone can be on the line, but you don't have to be on the line. You, yeah. Just because it's the CEO, I don't, you know, you've got other things you need to do. Don't, don't be there if you don't want to. And there's no... Uh, punishment for not being at a CEO kind of uh, coffee with Kilcrease, but they can ask me any question they want. And sometimes I go, you know, that's a good question. I don't have the answer. I have Mm -hmm. to find out. And other times I say, hey, is so-and-so on this call? Uh, I think we were just talking about that the other day and they know more about that than me. And so I sometimes turn it around and ask them a question about what they're thinking, where they're feeling, because if I can't get a pulse on where everyone is. And and very frankly, they've been tremendously successful and they're only 30 minutes once a month. Um, And I've been, I I have my organizational development group, you know, after we did a few months of these, every month we had uh, had them do a a quick survey. Um, Was it worth their time? Was it not worth their time? You know, I really want to know because if it's not worth their time, um, I got plenty of other things to do, but also it Mm -hmm. had to be a, I'm doing something I'm trying to give as value to mm-hmm. the team. Mm-hmm. Do they value it the same way I do? 
or not? And what can we do to make it better? Yeah. And I think a lot of leaders struggle with how do they do it in this virtual environment that makes it tough. And I, I joke around a lot, which is like learning about COVID is it kind of leveled the playing field for the introverts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the problem with the introverts in this field where you can't allow them to be even more introverted because that becomes isolation mm-hmm. and isolation is not healthy for anyone. Yep. Humans are herding animals. If we weren't, we wouldn't come together for any reason. We'd, That's right. And I think we have to remember that while some people are very great soul producers, others are great team members. It's the combination of us all that makes us in the animal kingdom unique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often share with my leadership clients that humans by nature, when left alone for significant periods of time, tend to think dark thoughts. Thus, the need for more proactive leadership and active engagement and um, looking for ways to communicate and check in. All the things that you noted, Laura, and I applaud you for taking those uh, progressive steps. Uh, You really distinguish uh, your operations by doing those things. I want to bridge the gap a little bit in the time we have with you by posing a moral dilemma question to you. Yeah, we tend to do this here at the trap. (laughs) And uh, we have one that's a perennial favorite because we often have either venture capitalists or people with experience being an early to mid-stage CEO at some stage in their their leadership lives. And so I'm going to pose this to you I've been thinking about this because uh, you can wear a couple of different hats, but you're not. On, uh, are you on the receiving end of uh, funding? Uh, I, I guess you have to build up a um, uh, a fund in order to then manage it into your portfolio. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. So um, I assume you don't always go in and say a lead seat. You're joined by other investors. Yes. And when there's, um, I'm going to paint a bit of a hypothetical, let's say your second seat, uh, close behind, but second seat to a deeper pocket, more committed financial investor, and they're going to come in, they're going to take a board seat, you may as well, both first time investors, high believers in this portfolio company, they have tremendous problem, they're in the right space at the right time with mostly the right leadership team, but there's one VP of marketing that the lead investor said, I will not move forward with my investment until you fire your VP of marketing. And it's always this, marketing. Always yeah, marketing, it's always marketing, by the way. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fair point, Chris. I always say marketing, don't I? Every time. I don't know what's going on with my bias on marketing, but nevertheless, <laughs> you get hang HR next time. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Um uh, so if you're hanging in there with me, lead investor who's taken a second seat, you two have sort of partnered up on this. You may have a, a background with them or not, but they have uh, laid down the gauntlet to the founding CEO. Uh, and the founding CEO may say, that's a friend of mine. Uh, I've known her from the beginning and um, I, uh, I believe in her. Uh, I trust her. And the uh, lead investor says she doesn't demonstrate the capabilities to scale the company. You're going to have to let her go or I won't invest. Um, How would you respond to that? Yeah. 
So, so I would say first trust but verify. And so often it's done on a gut feeling or a reaction or a rumor of what someone else said about that individual, that marketing person. I think uh, second, uh, that's the investigative part, understand where my co-investor is coming from and try and address those issues because letting that person go may not be addressing the issue. That Mm -hmm. just, you know, it's kind of like a headache. I don't care about the headache. I can take an aspirin, but what's the source of the problem here? And so often we don't get to the source of the problem. And at the same time, I clearly trust my co-investor. Otherwise I wouldn't have invested with them. And clearly they trust me. Otherwise they wouldn't have invested. I would say perhaps in the old days, whatever they may be for you. Say the dot-com era. Or dot com era, it would have been the big dog at the table got to do yeah. whatever they wanted. Yeah. But often they'll make a decision when actually the little dog at the table knows more about what's going on because they mm. got to scamper around or they're the local investor versus the national investor. Mm. And I think the truth is when both of these investors come together for the betterment of the company, which is in their interests, you'll come out with the right solution. Yeah. Um, I, I just think both sides have to be heard. Um, and, and then you, you need to move forward. Yeah. Um, thank you. Sometimes when you got an investor who's running a billion or more or several billion, especially in today's market, they just don't have the time to spend on what appears to be a little, a big problem versus the hundred billion dollar investor uh, who's more regional or more local has that time. And I think that's the benefit of not having one person um, actually try and solve that person that problem. So, David, I'm not sure that was a very good or articulate answer, but I think the strength comes from tra- from opening up and trying to solve the problem. Now, me personally, as a manager, as yeah. a CEO, yeah. If I see someone that where we're not matching their strength with the opportunity they're supposed to be doing for us, my first goal is to see where their strengths can be matched in the organization. May we may in fact I would tell you sometimes the problems come from the investors who suggested someone who worked well in one environment but doesn't work well in another. I've seen that more than once. Website. Absolutely. So I've I think we have once. to look back at ourselves, put the mirror in front of us first to say, did we cause any of this? And then what do we do to solve it? Yeah. In fact, can investors, say those regional investors that you described that could be a little bit closer to uh, the comings and goings of the company, can they actually be a mentor to a CEO or another primary executive on the team? Or do they have a conflict of interest? Are they just conflicted out because they've got too much of at stake? Is it better to have an external mentor when it comes to mentor relationships to help the cause? I think the opportunity is to have both if you can, ah. um, honestly, because the, the the board investor mentor is going to come from a perspective of having lots of examples of this situation, hopefully, that they've experienced or ways they can help the uh, individual CEOs. Mm. And I think in the early stages of companies, early to mid stages, the board is really an extension of the operating team, but in a non-operational manner, in a strategic manner, all right? But can 
they've got pattern recognition. They've done this a hundred times. They know what, you know, they can be helpful. But I say they need the second leadership mentor because that's, it's not about solving the problems. It's about preparing the individual for the future as well. Okay. And when you prepare someone for the future from a leadership mentor perspective, it's not a one-time meeting. It's a multiple-time meeting to evolve the individual and evolve the areas that they are. Uh, they either want to be stronger in or need to be stronger in as a CEO. So one's a quick solution for now, if I can put it that way. The other one is a more long-term uh, solution for that individual. And I, I, I personally think uh, the optimum situation is, is for a CEO of an emerging company to have both. Yeah, thanks for those perspectives. Let me probe um, in a specific area that I know you have uh, a strong interest in, and that is the changing dynamics, uh, say the startup opportunity landscape 20 years ago versus now. How has that changed for emerging female leaders? Oh, it's, it's changed uh, tremendously. Um, and I think it is in change now at a, a rapid pace. So I would say 20 years ago, and I can just speak for myself, um, you know, as, as a venture capitalist, uh, I remember being, uh, well, in Austin, Texas, I was the only female general partner of a fund who ran a fund. Uh, when I went to the National Venture Capital Association meeting, I was one of less than 30 women out of six to 800 VCs who would attend that annual you know, big conference. Um, and uh, we, we were kind of a kind of different, if I can put it that way, not quite sure what to do with us. Um, I, I remember one particular board I was on where we had a big VC and every time he would want to make a decision about a new subject that had come up that hadn't been prepared for, he would call a, a restroom break and all the all the guys would go into the restroom and make a decision and come out. And the first time it happened and we'd go back, resume, and I'd think, where did this come from? I didn't hear any of the discussion. And he was not being rude to me at all. It was just what he was normally used to doing, yeah. right? Yeah. It was, we'd go in. Uh, and, and finally, when he did it after a second time, and I realized, ah, oh, this is what's happening. I just went up and said, you know, next time you make a you're going to go into the restroom to make a decision. I just want to warn you, I'm coming in after you. So I'm part <laughs> of the decision. I'm a board member. And when I put in a joking manner to him, you know, ha, 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 it was like, oh, he didn't even realize he was doing it. Today, yeah. I wouldn't even think about that. That would never even occur. So one, I... That's an example. I think, uh, one, there's more women in leadership roles as CEOs today because the technologies of today are not about strength or any of the traditional values. They're not just about STEM, even though more women need a STEM education. It's yeah. about STEAM, where we include the arts and the subjective. Oh, which nice. Is, is much more um, a robust area, and, and women tend to be in those areas. Second, um, I think we don't look at the old values of she can't possibly do something because she has a kid at home. Um, there's the advent of lots of ways of dealing with, with how you handle your family amongst a couple or, or a, a village, as we say. 
Third, I think you've got more women investors today than you ever had. I'm very proud that in Austin, Texas, you've got several women-led funds and women VCs, um, which in 14, you know, from the day I started my VC fund, you know, uh, until almost um, the day I left to come to Canada, there was very little of that, and it's not that long ago. But there's also lots of learning in that space. Finally, I have to tell you, this is just about money. Why is it about money? If you look at all the statistical knowledge on when you have a woman on a board or a woman investor or a woman leader in the corporate team, and it doesn't have to be one, um, you have such a diversity of thought and uh, productivity that generally you're going to find higher productivity And the research to date shows that you'll get a greater return because women naturally are a little bit more cautious with with, uh, funds, just as they are with the household budget. And um, we're finding that here in Canada, for example, if we can just increase the amount of women entrepreneurship and women investment, uh, we can actually add at least a trillion and a half dollars to the U.S. economy. And and we're only 35 million people. Can Mm. you imagine what you can do in the U.S.? Can you imagine what you can do in Texas? Yeah. It's, it would be an amazing growth to all of our economies. And then finally, let's not forget, who does all the buying of the household? The woman, 85% of the buying decisions. So if you have these economics, why the hell would you ignore this subgroup of, of, of your environment? You wouldn't. So I'm very pleased to see, not because I'm a woman, but some greater penetration of their participation in the full workforce. Um, I'd just like to see some of the barriers we've talked about for decades to be broken down even further. I'm with you. Uh, I'm sure you run into the still prevalent conditions in which a executive may choose to check a box by having a uh, female employee in fact, Chris mentioned earlier, yeah, let's use HR as an example in our moral dilemma. So sometimes they check the box and say, well, for that role, let's get a female. Uh, and that way we optically have met our duty where really all they've done is uh, put lipstick over uh, the pig of a bro culture that's still hanging out there. I think equity, diversity, and inclusion is not a HR practice. It's a profit practice. And as soon as someone understands well it's a profit practice, then they'll, they'll, they'll adopt it pretty quickly for the meaningful reasons and not just because um, of, of what sex they are. Similarly, I would say this is also true of other groups that need to be included, whether that's Indigenous people, whether that's people of color, whether that's... Uh, Uh, a subsector of the population, Latinos, the diversity brings greater value to all. Yeah, and would you uh, place it in just the way you described it, there's a strategic advantage the curmudgeonly types uh, come to realize um, that there's something to this and maybe uh, I'm uh, a bit behind uh, on where history is going. Yeah, the one thing I would also though caution everyone on is, you know, don't bring a woman onto the board for the sake she's a woman. Don't bring a Latino on the board for the sake that they're a Latino. Look at all the traits you need to have first. And if you have all those traits, those values in 
the matrix of what you're looking for and it then happens to be a woman or a Latino or an indigenous person or whatever, hey, you just got, you know, double return for your money, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But don't do it just on the superficial nature of how sometimes this is talked about. Yeah, I think we sometimes, a lot of uh, just as, as humans, we lack that ability to be able to have, be conscious of our own filters. And though that's really what starts to limit us from making some of those decisions, unfortunately. It's maybe not intentional. It's just limited by your own filters in there. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Mm-hmm. So, so again, those, those individuals that haven't been as well represented yeah. still have to show the capabilities, values, uh, ethics, yeah. ability to have the knowledge that that entity needs. Yeah. So you may have stolen my thunder on a question I was about to pose to you, which is around the notion of your must haves in order for someone to be uh, a a key member of your leadership team. What are the must haves that you look for either for someone coming from the outside in or progressing uh, to the next stage of responsibilities, which means greater influence, greater scope, Uh, What are your must-haves for someone to fit the role of being a senior leader on your team? Yeah. Um, uh, Trust and integrity goes without saying. That's just a, that's that's the buy-in price, if Mm -hmm. I can put it that way. Um, uh, Values that align with the values of the organization and what we're trying to achieve. Um, The very frank, frank, you know, point I want to bring up is, um, they've got to be way better than me or anyone else on the team at what they do and what they're going to do in the future. Um, I think other points that I really look for, do they learn as they go along, both by their good experiences and and things that don't work and how do they apply that? Um, So I look, that's really important for me. And then what do I need to do to get them where they want to be themselves? Everyone has aspirations and goals. Uh, And it comes in many different forms. Sometimes it's job title, it's position, number of employees, um, uh, ability to do things that they enjoy more than stuff they don't enjoy. Um, In in terms of we will have stuff that we don't enjoy. I'm, you know, um, we just have to deal with this. It's a balance. But how can we, how can I help them get where they want to be? And in life, I've been very fortunate to understand that, no matter if we part companies one day, they get that bigger opportunity that we can't give them within the corporation today. We've helped prepare them for that. And there's been a value to that that they don't forget. I have been astounded, um, David, and, and this is very coincidental. This week, I had a person who was a student at the University of Texas when I was helping doing entrepreneurship call me and I probably haven't talked to this former student who now has one 20 month old and a baby on the way. Um, and therefore it's been probably at least a decade. Um, call, call me and, and set up a time and we talked and he basically said to me, I didn't realize what you did for me back then when you sent me to this business planning competition, we won, and then you did this and that and something else and I'm looking back now, I've got a very successful company. Um, I'm looking at all kinds of options. And I realize how I look at these things, that it came from things that were shared, instilled 
nurtured, uh, helped him with. Um, and it wasn't only me, David. Uh, so please don't think it was. It was more people. But it was a realization at this stage of his life, 10 years on, that, wow, I'm here because of those things. And I think when you when you can gift things to people, and I don't mean physical things, traits, knowledge, help, so they can go on and do better, you may not see them every day, any week, every month, every year. But there's a time when we each think, wow, when I, I didn't realize I learned that and what I needed and how it's got me where I am today. And all I can say to those people is, great, now pay it back to someone else because that's what this is about. Yeah, so um, you triggered a thought, which I wanted to sort of nudge you a bit as it relates to that um, set of standards you have for uh, someone to enter the scene at the senior leadership level. Can you give an example of a time where you um, ultimately had to give up on a leader that they simply didn't uh, make it? So in essence, they created possibly a trap of their own making, but um, did you find that uh, you may have overcommitted to someone? Uh, can you give an example of that? And again, playing it safe with the circumstances in the individual, but just for the learning of our audience, uh, where did you find that you, you simply um, went a bit too long with your patients? Yeah, um, I've learned as I've matured in life that if your gut instinct tells you there's an issue and you can verify that, your gut instinct was probably right in the first place and not to ignore it and go forward. And where I've had those instances and I've taken too long to address them, while I certainly have suffered in that process, I think the greater suffering comes from that individual themselves. And I tend to give folks um, well, I tell, I tell my folks today, hey, we all can make mistakes. That's no issue. I've always got your back. But if you make the same mistake a second time, I still have your back. But if it's a third time, you haven't learned how to learn and make a change. And I know you're never going to. And that's a point we should part company. And I don't mean that as, a, hey, I'm the boss, you're not. Um, I think people should do that with me and, and, and bring that up with me too. It's called a board or it's called an investor. Uh, but I think we do a disservice by not bringing those people, that, that, that attention to that individual. Um, and, and it's not easy to do because you're telling them things that they either haven't observed themselves or they've observed and they're trying to hide, or they're running scared, and you don't ever want to be any, I don't ever want to see anyone in a vulnerable position. So my goal then is to find them the place that is good for them. Because when it's good for them, I have a philosophy, it's going to be de facto good for me, even if it doesn't feel good at the time. How do you how do you help them find that place, and then how do you coach your leaders to do that? Because I do think that that's a part of that empathy you talked about earlier, and yeah. it's really hard to teach. I think first of all, you have to have a very frank conversation of what you observe and ask them back. Do they 
do they agree or disagree? Then you have to find the points of commonality and the point of disagreement. Um, I think wherever possible, if it appears to be um, a lack of experience or a lack of knowledge, then there's ways to train. Um, I I actually pay for coaches for some of my staff. Sometimes it's the coach to solve a problem. Other times it's a coach to move them up to the next level where I can't spend every day giving them the attention I would like or every week. But I can set up a coach to complement the things I can do internally because I I can have a coach spend a couple of hours every week, whereas I may only with my responsibilities may only be able to spend an hour every couple of weeks or more. I also introduce them to similar people in the roles that they aspire to who I think have values that um, are similar and have a willingness to um, share that knowledge with, with, with my people. So I actually introduce them to people and I normally jokingly say to them, now you're not supposed to hire them for at least six months, otherwise I'll kill you later, jokingly. But I know if I do a good job, they're going to come back and try and hire them. Yes, that's right. I know yeah. what I'm doing. Uh, but at the end, if it if it makes the person happier, if it makes them achieve their goals for them and their family, why shouldn't I help them? Yeah. Right? Again, the, the old adage, you know, don't feed them, teach them how to, to, to produce their own food. That's good. Feed them for a while if they can't do that. But after a while, you have to help them get to the next step. Because we all in our lives want to do better for our kids, for our grandkids, for the people around us. Mm-hmm. So let's just find ways to make it easier on everyone. Yeah. Well, Laura Kilcrease, you continue to leave an amazing legacy in the work that you do, and you've touched so many professional lives. Uh, I'm I'm grateful, and I know Chris joins me in um, expressing appreciation for you spending time with us on the leadership trap today. Well, um, I say this to everyone: if if anyone who hears this gets one single thing that's of benefit to them out of today's discussion, then this has been worth all of our times. Just one thing. If they only get one, they haven't been listening. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, David. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Do you know a leader who could benefit from hearing about the leadership trap? Well, we hope you will share this podcast with them. And remember, give the podcast a five-star rating. Every rating helps us reach more leaders. You can find us at theleadershiptrap.org. Okay, we'll see you next time. And until then, stay out of those traps.